Hello and welcome to the GoldenAgeHorror.com podcast. This month, episode 37, The House of Wax. Check out the website, www.GoldenAgeHorror.com, or stay tuned after the podcast for more information and show notes. So? So. <clears throat> this month we watched House of Wax, and this is the last of our uh, seemingly endless Vincent Price What's series. His career is seemingly endless. He, yeah, he, he actually he did make movies for... 50 plus years. Yeah. So, I mean, we could actually... There are still more Vincent Price movies that are definitely watchable and good, and it's not like... Well, I mean, we've watched ones that are definitely watchable and not good. We've watched a lot of them, and I think that we we will probably come back to them at some point, because there's a couple more that I'd like to watch, but... It's a good old gem well. I think also it's time to give uh, to give, take a little break from Vincent Price. I think it's possible to have too much of a good thing. Yeah. So... But uh, yeah, let's just, we'll talk about House of Wax, then yeah. we can talk about the future. And because well, a lot of them, they, they tend to kind of bleed together. Yeah, they, kind of, they all most of them sort of feel the same. I think that um, especially the Corman ones. Yeah, the, those four Corman ones or three or four Corman ones. He plays very similar characters in them, even. Yeah, and the like. I think we talked about it before, but like the love interests. Are all the same. Are all the same. The male leads are all the same. The male leads are all the same. Like, there's very, like... I mean, this one's not too different. There's actually... Uh, this think... one feels very much in those veins still. Yeah, it does. The only ones that feel especially divergent, I think, are Witchfinder General. Yeah, Witchfinder General is definitely <laughs> a, a, an outlier. And Dr. Fives. Dr. Fives is... Yeah, those two are kind of their own thing. For Cause, sure. Yeah, because Dr. Fives definitely plays to this... Um, Plays in this kind of like with the same mad villain archetypes, mm-hmm. but it skews way weirder in like the way it, in its feel, and just his general atmosphere. Mm-hmm. This one feels much more traditional. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I would agree with that. So this movie came out in 1953. Uh, it was directed by Andre de Toth, who I believe I'm looking it up right now, but I believe he also directed The Fly. But I could be wrong. No, you're thinking of um, David Cronenberg. Right. It doesn't look like he directed the fly. The f- yeah. Fly. Like I said, that was that was Cronenberg. Actually, it looks like this is the only real famous movie that he he was the lead director on. Was he AD, that, was he AD on anything good? He was AD on um, Lawrence of Arabia and oh, that's the way. Whoa, Super, <laughs> Superman and some other stuff. Whoa, hey, buddy. What are those? Those are. I don't know. Superman. Well, Launch of Arabia. That's a, that's a, that's a that's pretty well regarded movie. It might be considered a classic. Yeah, so it's Hustle Wax. A classic. Well, I don't know what face he's, Andrew's made a weird face. I, I didn't so, for it. Um, before we get into this movie, I want to ask you a question. Yeah, go ahead. It's, it's something I've been thinking about. Sure. It's about cult works. So I was thinking for something to. Because you see the word cult like bandied around for things that like people feel passionate about but aren't necessarily super popular or mainstream. Yeah. But I feel like cult or at least the way I define it is that in watching it, you have to see it has to be kind of really obvious why it wouldn't be popular, if that makes sense. Like when I'm seeing when I watch something that's culty, I'm like, oh, you know, I really love this, but I can definitely see why this would not catch on with a wider audience. I mean 
I don't know. I think... I think the term cult classic is definitely outmoded. Yeah. Because it definitely referred to, like, what are the archetypal cult movies, the Rocky Horror Picture Show? Yeah. It referred to something that was too strange for modern, for mainstream taste, but, like, not modern, mainstream taste. Yeah. But was good enough or weird enough or whatever. That enough. it resonated with a certain pocket of people. And they were, they loved it so much that they became like a cult following it. Yeah. You know? But like, I think that's sort of broken down for, for a couple of reasons. I think that the term is probably overused. Yeah, that's that's, that's why I was thinking because like, the term like, ah, oh, this feels... Because what I was specifically... Um, what made me think about it was a couple... Maybe la- at some point last month, I watched Heather's, mm-hmm. and it was, in comparison, it's drawn, I think, probably just because it's about teenagers and whatever, it was brought this up in the same breath as something like Mean Girls mm-hmm. or Clueless, and Mean Girls is a movie that got, like, an ABC Family, like, direct-to-TV sequel or whatever. Yeah. Because that, that's why I was the same, like, one of those... It was also like fairly profitable at the box office, but they were both called cult six cult favorites. And that that's what got me thinking, like Well maybe maybe in that sense they're just they're referring to a movie that a fandom grows up around right. especially. Where a movie like, let's say Avatar there's not really a well maybe that maybe that's a bad example, but I don't feel like there's a huge persistent Avatar fandom. Right. Because that's what made me thinking like, well, because maybe called classic doesn't level any particular commercial judgment on that one way or the other. Yeah, and that's why. I would, and, but I was also thinking like one of these like granted I've never seen Mean Girls, mm-hmm. but it feels like it doesn't. It feels like it probably doesn't have what I would think of as like a cult atmosphere. You know. Well, that movie is pretty well regarded. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like it's fairly well regarded. It did. Fa- it was fairly popular. All things considered. Yeah, I mean that's a good question. I I, I don't know what um I I tried to watch it for comparison, but it was like it wasn't available. That's how I learned there was an ABC Family directed TV sequel of it. I mean, you might be surprised. I feel like I've never seen Mean Girls either, but from what I've read about it, I feel like you may actually be. Um, Not that I'm saying it wouldn't be good. Well, it may actually be weird enough or strange enough, or right. or it might have whatever that intangible quality is, because a lot of people that like it that I know are, like, not people who are prone to liking mainstream things. Right. So it could be just one of those movies that managed to resonate with both audiences. Yeah. But it stuck around because... Of the weird cult or, audience. Or whatever it is that... Yeah, the weird cult audience. Whatever it is about that movie that people like. Because that's, that's what got me thinking about, like, whether the term cult is reused or overused to define, like, just something that has lasting appeal. And then sometimes we call them cult things, sometimes we don't. Yeah, I think I think I definitely think the term's been used to the point where it's virtually meaningless. But because um, when I when I hear the term cult, I want to see something that is like clearly, clearly like abrasive. You want like Phantom of the Paradise or something? Yeah, like exactly. I want something like a Rocky Horror, something that's like it's either something that's really weird or something like like the Room where it's really terrible, mm. where it's clear why. It would have a cult following, not a mainstream following. Rather than, oh, this is just a good movie. Yeah, that's interesting. 
like you know, this is just a good movie that doesn't have a million spinoffs or you know graphic novel tie-ins, or they haven't rebooted it yet. Yeah, I, th- I also, I mean, also, I was going to say, I think just the way that um, people, the way that fandoms form, and the way that um, the, ex- the general accessibility of everything, yeah, has sort of changed that term. Because it's not like you have to have midnight screenings anymore, right? The communities are different. They're broken down. They're spread apart. I mean, it's not, not to say that they can't still be called classics or that um, the fandoms are any way less valid or anything like that. It just feels like a different... It's definitely a different animal than even like like 20 years ago when I was getting into cult-type movies. Like, it, They were definitely more available than they were in the 70s, but they were... Like, you still have to... like If you want... Like, to find a couple... Like, I made friends in high school because I had a I had a DVD copy of They Live. Yeah, <laughs> and they were like, "Oh my god, I've been looking for that movie everywhere." No, like no, you know, like I feel like we even in my time, which granted this isn't too much after yours, but right? We're talking like, oh, we need to make, you know, oh, it's a way out trip because you have to go to a Sun Coast to find this movie. Right, right, exactly. Things were hard, and now it's like every streaming service has it. Yeah, and if, if not, if you want, you, people just watch They Live. Like, yeah. And if not, it's just like, it's $8 away. Or just, oh, watch movies online.com. So I don't know if that's going to make these movies, if the accessibility of these movies is sort of going to, is going to broaden the audience or if it's just going to like, maybe the communities won't form up around them because there isn't the same need to like, or you're not sharing something as special, I right. guess, if that makes sense. And it's so much easier to find like-minded individuals, I guess. Yeah, it's easier to find like-minded individuals. Also, there's no reason to. Oh yeah, right. Because you, you, there's already an echo chamber waiting for you. Yeah, like, well, like like I was saying, with they live thing. Like, I made friends with these people because we wanted to share this DVD amongst ourselves because no, there's no else to get it. <laughs> yeah. Now there would have been no need to have that conversation because we just you just watch, watch it. it. You just like I'm gonna go on Netflix. I'm Same just gonna thing watch with it. the Rocky, like the people who went to Rocky Horror Picture Show screenings and like would see each other all the time and like you know learn the things to yell at the movie and all that garbage like they don't need to anymore because they can maybe that wouldn't happen again because you wouldn't have to go to a movie theater to see Rocky Horror Picture Show you can download it any 15,000 different ways yeah or watch it on YouTube for free or whatever it is right <laughs> that's just a that's just that is a, just a tangent mm-hmm. for I'm just going to cut right there because I feel like it could go on forever about the nature of what cult means nowadays. Yeah. So, House of Wax, 1953. So, let me tell you about House of Wax. This is the first. I'll give you two, a couple facts and then you can do a summary. Because I feel like this is the closest thing we have to a segment in this show is we explain these movies. Sort of. Um, I, yeah. I, I feel like they're pretty thorough. I feel like I know all the major plot points. Occasionally. I mean, I would say that the, your successes are, are varying at, at describing the movies. The, um, this is the first color 3D horror film for a major studio. Uh, this is also a remake of the 1933 movie Mystery of the Wax Museum, which um, starred, I believe, Lionel Atwell and Fay Ray. I don't know if you remember those, those that pair. I know Fay Ray in terms of her name. Fay Ray's in King Kong. She was in, well, they were both in uh, Dr. X. Okay. So... Lionel that, Atwell is the... Uh, that's the guy where he puts a punch, punch of putty on his face, right? Yeah, he wasn't... He okay. was, that's not Lionel Atwell. Lionel right, was, right. was but, the doctor. Whatever. <laughs> and Ferry was the daughter. And Lionel Atwell was actually also in Son of Frankenstein. 
He played the. Uh, you know, you're gonna keep telling me this guy is, but I'm gonna. I'm he, gonna. He played the guy with the wooden hand or whatever. Or I'm gonna. Ex- is am I gonna keep extrapolating this guy with a million other leading men? Come on, you know the guy with the wooden arm from Son of Frankenstein. I am I just gonna immediately? F- oh, okay. Yeah, that's Lionel. Wasn't Lattel. he? Wasn't he older? He was older than that. Yeah. Yeah. The, okay. His 1933 was. He was like one of the other leading men. Actually, he was already. Was um, he the guy who was dancing in the closet with the skeleton? What? In Doctor X, there was a guy like. No, in the... he was not. Okay. Um, Lionel Atwell actually. God, this is quite a tangent. But Lionel Atwell <laughs> was like a big leading man in the, I believe, in the pre nineteen thirties. But he was some kind. There was some kind of like sex orgy scandal with him and his wife in their Hollywood mansion, and he yeah. got kind of relegated to B pictures after that. <laughs> so by the time, I mean, by the time any of the movies I've seen him, in, he's been older anyway, so it hasn't really uh, mattered. But I guess in his youth, he was a lot more of like a like a conventionally um, dreamboat type guy. Okay, but um, yeah. So why don't you give us the rundown on Hustle Wax? Right. So Vincent Price is is a wax maker. Yep. He's got a partner who doesn't like the wax business because Vincent Price is very he's he's kind of stodgy. Hold on, I actually want to quibble with the first sentence there. Yeah, he's a wax maker. Oh, he's a wax person maker. My mistake. Okay. Vin- this is the house of wax. I feel like you know what you can. Vincent Price makes wax people, mm-hmm. but he li- he likes to make classical wax people. None of your shock and awe wax people. And his partner doesn't like it, so he tries to sell it. But then the money's going to get there too late, so he decides to burn the place down for insurance anyway. And then Vincent Price is trapped in there, maybe? I don't know. Then we flash forward, and then Vincent Price is all... Oh, my mistake, it's not Vincent Price. A mysterious burned man yeah. <laughs> murders... The first person he murders is the partner. Yeah, and but that could just be a coincidence. That could just be a coincidence. He could have been murdered for any number of reasons. That guy... I mean, that guy did burn a building with... Doesn't it Doesn't it seem like that guy could have gone through life making enemies? Yeah, actually, that's what I'm saying. He did burn a building with a man in it. He didn't try to intentionally kill someone because he wanted money faster. Yeah, so he does that, and then... At some point, there's you get you meet um Sue and Sue and Kathy. They're in there somewhere. Was Kathy engaged to Vincent Price or like dating him or something? Because she was dating someone who committed suicide. Yeah, it was definitely. It's actually never really like explicitly resolved, but but I'm pretty sure it's definitely heavily implied that she's she's dating a distinguished older man who 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 then committed suicide. Which is well, no, the, that's that's her partner. Oh, that was her fiance. That was the partner. Oh, okay. Because she was, remember the other part when he was, like, seducing her in the beer garden? And he was telling her, like, and, you know, I would have saved him if I could, but... Okay, maybe, I don't know what happened there, but that I was... I just glossed over that part. <laughs> and then he gets murdered, and then the next scene is her telling uh, Sue, is Kathy telling Sue about his murder. Okay. And then she goes, but my current guy, or whatever, is this distinguished older man. Blah, blah, blah. Right, Okay. Well, I assume that they vent they had a thing because next thing you know, she's dead. Yep. And then they go on a they go on a little running spree with some minor popcorn. Mm-hmm. And then, so then Sue runs over to like his to like the house of his <laughs> a man and his very young mother, <laughs> his far too young mother. Well, the yeah, the mother and son. Were um, for some reason the same age. I'm not quite yeah. sure what's going on there. And then they like so that's that good. Then you know they're like a couple or something, I guess. Mm-hmm. So then that's like the framing device for the rest of the movie because like oh look let's go to Vincent Price's wax museum. 
Also, he's not an evil guy. He's just in a wheelchair, so he couldn't possibly be the Waxman because he was in a wheelchair the whole time. Yeah, he can't. I mean, he can't and the Waxman run. was running. Right. People in wheelchairs can't run. I just looked it up, and the uh, Mrs. Andrews is the actress who played Mrs. Andrews is eleven years older than the son. Oh, okay. So you know, eleven's so a fine time to have a child. Things were different back then. Yep. Um. Uh, so. So it turns out Vincent Price did open a shock and horror wax museum. And no, no, there's a bunch of people in there. But boy, these people look like people who went missing. And then she was like, oh, no, Vincent Price killed my people. And they're like, no, you're crazy. He's in a wheelchair. He couldn't do that. But then it turns out he did do it. And then he kidnaps Sue and then tries to kill her. And then the guys come and save her. And that's the movie. That's the movie. So, um... Let me uh, throw some more facts at you, and then we'll talk about some things we liked about House of Wax. Okay. So, Kathy is played by Carolyn Jones, who is um, later on the uh, Monsters. Okay. She played the, or no, not, not the Monsters. Wrong one. Yeah. She was on The Adams Family. She plays Lurch. She plays Mrs. Adams, or Patricia. No, I thought it was uh, Uncle Fester. And, uh... Wednesday no, Adams. No longer acknowledging that, and... <laughs> Uh, Charles Bronson's also in this movie. It. Thing. Charles Bronson's also in this movie. And. Death Wish. What's the hair guy? Cousin It. There it is. Found Cousin it. Hand. Um, <laughs> that, the, that's a different guy. So let's talk about the things we liked about this movie. Is the Adam's Family good? I like the movies. That's what people have said, but I'm not sure. And they're watching. Like it. I guess one of those things, maybe if you saw it when you were younger. Yeah, I was going to say, is, is it a real time and place kind of thing? Yeah. If I was a teen goth. I don't know. I think actually, I think it still holds up somewhat. But at least the first one holds up somewhat. But why don't you start with some things you liked about House of Wax? Um, I like the ping pong. I like the paddleball guy. Yep. I forgot the. Oh no! I forgot to mention the paddleball guy. Well, you can break him down right now if you want. There's a guy who's he's basically a sign spinner mm-hmm. for the House of Wax, except he uses a paddleball, and he's just like wailing away at him, and it was. It caught me off guard. He can actually, uh, Andrew. Andrew literally <laughs> cackled with delight for a good three minutes, when he, like spontaneously. <laughs> this man can actually fit three paddle balls in his mouth. <sighs> uh, sorry, I'm thinking about him. <laughs> yeah, so he has no place. Okay, he has no place in the movie. The reason he's in the movie is how I learned the movie was 3D because he starts whacking the ball at the camera. Which feels wildly out of place for the rest of the movie. I like that guy. So that was that was my that was my A plus moment of this movie was that paddleball guy. I feel like maybe it's just these last two movies, but I feel like I fall in love with occasionally side characters. Hmm. This um that have no place being there. This. I would say something I liked about this movie. Okay, was was something I had forgotten about it. The um, it's very dedicated to being a period picture, which I didn't remember. Oh yeah, like they'd make a real effort to set it in eighteen nineties New York for some reason. Well, it was nineteen hundred because it's the clock. Oh okay, the watch. Yeah, because I was trying to pin down the the exact era. So you know that they spent a surprising amount of time and effort to really. As far as costumes and like a lot of other stuff, 
the when they visited the uh, cabaret, whatever it was. Yeah. The beer gardens and the, everything. I thought it was kind of cool. Um, this movie actually was the big uh, uh, revitalization for Vincent Price. Oh. 1953 puts it, yeah, before any of the Corwin movies, before any of, uh, before House of Haunted Hill, before any of the other movies. So those were all, I mean, then after this he was on, he went on a string of, this is the movie that sort of turned him completely into horror film films. Oh, okay. As opposed to just being sort of like he was in, he was a, in the 30s and 40s, he was a romantic leading man in a few movies. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Like, I've, seen, I've seen young Vincent Price. Yeah, he's a, he was a good looking guy. Yeah. Not that he was a, a bad looking older man, but he no, was. No, I mean, if, sort of, if you're looking for an older man, you can, you can do a lot worse than Vincent Price. Yeah. A lot worse. According to the Wikipedia page, uh, the director was blind in one eye, one eye and was unable to experience stereo vision or the 3D effects. Oh. I'm sure he's not missing much. I didn't experience them, but I feel like I wasn't yeah. missing much. Yeah, I haven't. I actually haven't seen the Lionel Atwell Faye Ray one either. Although it's probably pretty good because most of the pre-code movies with Lionel Atwell and Faye Ray are pretty good. Doctor X is a good movie. It had laughs and scares. It did. <laughs> I, apparently, there was a whole. According, I'm just looking at the Wikipedia page for House of Wax right now. Apparently there was a big uh, uh, comic relief angle that was dropped from the, that was in the present in the original that was dropped from this movie. Oh. With a comic relief newspaper man, actually. <laughs> I'm not kidding. And uh, this movie was remade in 2005. By? Who knows? Paris Hilton was in it. Rob I Zombie. Remember that. Nope, that's House of House Corpses. <laughs> I mean, the, to be fair, though, this House of Wax is full of corpses. Mm-hmm. That's the big twist. The wax statues are actually corpses. Yep. They, yeah. they do. They, yeah. Because Vincent Price can't use his hands anymore. So he now sculpts with murder. So he just kind of covers dead people in wax. Wait. Well, wait a minute. Nope. Don't look. Don't think too nope. much. Nope. Okay. It. Stop. What about their hair? It seems to be fine. Why is their hair fine? Because yeah. he. Because in the end, Sue is in a box that theoretically is being filled with wax. Yeah, there's definitely some issues with that, technology-wise. But when she took off Kathy's Joan of Arc hair, it was just a regular blonde hair underneath. Actually, you don't have to be honest, Andrew. I don't think covering someone up with wax would create like a real great copy of them. <laughs> I don't think so either. So I think, I think we're just going to have to use our imaginations on this one. Suspend our disbelief, if you will. Also... Vincent Price in this movie dies falling through a giant vat of wax. Mm-hmm. I feel like he fought, there's a lot of people falling in vats of things in these movies. And does create drama. Yeah. Like pits or... I feel like it's kind of like Vincent's pit, you know? If you see in the pit in the first, first act, Vincent Price is going to fall into it in the third. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean... That, that's you're not wrong I don't know if that's an issue no it's not but it's just like oh I can't wait for Vince Price to fall in that pit or vat later there's definitely a thing you could fall into he's gonna trip all into it so this movie did pass the Bechtel test oh yeah I noticed that pointed out. yeah I was like I was, it was, they, because when Sue and Kathy were talking I, it kind of struck me towards the end of the scene 
Yeah, they didn't really. They t- they did talk. I actually does that technically test the Bechdel test though? Don't they have to talk for a certain amount of time? Oh well, you know what? It's not a hard and fast rule. <laughs> it's it's not something to live by. This definitely came the closest of any movie that I think we're probably ever going to see. Well, yeah, that's not true. But so far, I think this is the first one. Yeah, that's pretty much circled the Bechdel test pretty strongly. Right. I don't know. No, it's it's that they have. Isn't that they have to appear on screen and have names and talk about something other than man? I thought it was for a certain amount of time. Ah. Uh. But to be know. fair though, it's it wasn't like a giant essay. It was a like a panel of one comic. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, it's definitely. I th- doesn't she regret it even? I think so. Or it's probably because it was She's just tired of hearing about it. Maybe. Yeah, it's probably a combination of that and maybe it just got overused or misappropriated. It's kind of like the guy who made the term "manic pixie dream girl" mm. hates it because people, well, people were using it about actual human beings, which is a huge misappropriation because a human being can't be a made-up girl to satisfy weird angsty boy fantasies True. well yeah i hear people say call it what's her name then all the time and it's like no she was just born like that Zoe Deschanel. yeah no like no that's an actual just human being yeah <laughs> she's not actually sprung from the mind of a sad writer who listens to yeah. too much shins yeah no you're right it doesn't have to we so technically passed the bechtel test yeah um do you have anything to say about uh this film that would be critical not that wouldn't be necessarily the same stuff that's critical of all the ones. What do you mean? You know, it's they're not they're usually not very like tense. I don't feel the horror or the tension in any of them because mm-hmm. because they feel so formulaic. You know how where it's going to end. Yeah, that's true. The male lead is always the worst. Yeah, he's this is. This is not a good one as far as the male leads. Like the Scott Andrews character played by Paul Pisserni is, is not pretty leaden. Actually, I just do want to point out that uh, Stu Allen character played by Phyllis Kirk was like competent, much more competent than most characters in any of these films, man or woman, which is kind of nice to see. Yeah, like she managed to. Solve the mystery. She's not only did she solve the mystery. I know she like really early on the the movie like escapes in a very brave fashion and doesn't like completely lose her shit. I mean, she does have a lot of trouble with that gate. <laughs> yeah, the gate was, was confounding, but then she hid and was smart enough to take her shoes off and she just like collapsed into a pile like some of the other characters did. and started screaming and crying. Yeah, like she was she got out of there on her own and then she persistently makes an identifies clues the police didn't identify and then when they don't investigate, she goes on to investigate on her own. But then does get trapped and gets rescued by a bunch of men. Well, did you see Vincent Price punching all his policemen at the end of the movie? Like, what was she going to do? <laughs> hand-to-hand combat, you know what I mean? I mean, his hands were useless for wax, but they were very good for punching. Well, he doesn't feel anything in his hands. Yeah. So just smash them around. They're so good. They're so good. And they got, like, extra chunky and skinny. Or not skinny, but I meant more, like, covered in skin. Because of all the burns. And, like, it all grew over into, like, nice big Hulk hands. Scar tissue. Yeah. Extra good for punching. Yeah, but that's, yeah, it's something. This is this wasn't like House of Haunted Hill, where I just like. I don't think this is necessarily a bad movie. It's just real middle of the road. Mm. Nothing really sticks out too strongly about it. That's true. I think this is. Uh, I like know. the part where she punches him and his face, his wax face comes off. That was kind of a cool effect. Yeah. And I like him like springing upright. Out of the and like pulling the sheet down yeah. in the morgue. 
I mean, obviously there was not a lot of suspense there because it was pretty clear who the yeah and the sledge hat was, but it was still could have been a cool moment, and it was a cool moment in a way. I you know I just think it was nicely shot and framed. Mm-hmm. Also, when she was like hiding behind, like in the street. Yep, I just thought that was a nice shot. Yeah, there's some good. Yeah, that's that's true. Those were good shots. Yeah, it true. didn't feel like a soundstage. No. It was though, wasn't it? I would. Think. I mean, clearly, but like yeah. a lot of times, these movies really feel like sound stages. That's true. Like it feels like if someone sneezes, all the buildings are going to fall down. Yeah, I mean that could be the the direct the talent of the director, I guess, and the, just the money, maybe the. I believe this is also an A picture, so it might have got a little more money thrown. Yeah, it. I mean, it did have a big fat Warner Brothers logo on it. Yeah. He did a D on Lawrence of Arabia. This, I mean, this second, second unit director, I think. Oh, second unit director. Yeah, this film does actually share some similarities with Lawrence of Arabia. What's that? Um, they mentioned Egypt, I think. It has an intermission. Does Lawrence of Arabia has an intermission because it's like seven and a half hours long? Yes, <laughs> true. Have you watched that movie? I have. Yeah, I haven't. It's good, actually. Turns out it's a little weird seeing like, what's his face, Peter O'Toole mm-hmm. play like I'm an Arab prince. Well, he plays Lawrence of Arabia, doesn't he? No, so who, who's the guy? It's Obi-Wan. Who's oh, that guy? Alec Guinness. Alec Guinness, playing in a... I'm an Arabian prince. Doesn't seem... I'm like, not quite Alec Guinness. <laughs> doesn't seem exactly right. No, something seems off here. Uh, at least they didn't cast like a... Sometimes they cast like a Spanish guy. Just because yeah. like... I don't know what's, what, if what's more racist. If you're ca- <laughs> just casting a white guy and painting him... Tan or uh, or casting like a Spanish guy saying good enough like yeah casting any random Russian Spanish whatever be like it's all the same yeah non non white yeah like I don't, I don't know I guess they're both pretty bad yeah um yeah all right so I think that pretty much wraps up House of Wax House of Wax yep and a nice wax shell we want to talk about uh well let me say also like we got an email from this guy does a podcast which is much better than ours as far as production and stuff okay sounds that makes sense it's called it was called inside psycho and it's just it's all it's like six half an hour episodes about movie psycho okay so it's pretty good should mention that oh that sounds i didn't know about that until i just yeah i forgot about until you just told me but it was um i was into the first four and it was pretty good i haven't listened to the last two yet um Psycho is definitely we were going to cover eventually, but it'd probably be like a milestone movie. Right, you you have to you have to earn the good ones. Yeah, you have to get through a lot of shitty ones. I've already got. I know that. I know what episode fifty is going to be, but I don't know which one is it. Well, what do you? I'm planning on doing Night of the Living Dead for episode fifty. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know. We'll see if we can get a theme going around that time. And the zombies. Maybe, yeah, and Psycho. We'll have to see. We'll have to see when it comes up. Now, is that more of a? How do you delineate horror and thriller? I don't really think we have to. I mean, do you personally delineate um, the two? Uh, to me, it's like kind of um, like pornography or whatever, where you kind of know. Oh, you see it. I know what I know. What's pornography? What's erotica? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and to me, psych. I mean, Psycho. He, psycho. To get off topic, Psycho is like a horror movie. And I think definitely because some of the stuff that surrounds it like the main main character poisoned his mother and like 
keeps your corpse in the attic. Yeah. It's just like, and just stuff like that. Like, I know that you could technically have a thriller where there's a serial killer, and it's not really a horror movie, but. I also, I guess that's just genres, and who cares about genres? Yeah, I don't really. They're messy and complicated. There's not a clear, there, I think you're right that there's not a clear delineation, and we could definitely get bogged down in doing thrillers if we just let any old movie in, but I think there's also no real. There's I feel m- like horror has more monsters. Horror yeah. has more monsters, but it's not like you can say horror um, only yeah. monsters in horror movies. Right, you c- and also isn't man the worst monster of them all? That's the thing. Like, what about the most dangerous game? That, yeah, that might not be a horror movie, but a lot of times it's on a horror movie lists. And there's no monster in that. Uh, there's man. There's man, or the black cat. That's definitely a horror movie. Yeah, and there's no nothing supernatural in that movie at all. It's a cat. There's a cat, but it's not. Um, well, anyway, all, I mean, all, what, all I'm trying to say is that if we tried to define... Yeah, that's that's why it was a quick aside. It wasn't like, let's break down the two genres, because right. that would be confusing and complicated. There, and, well, there's, yeah, uh, there's, and no, there's no rule we could apply to one that we couldn't find, accept, find and exceptions for. Exactly, because that, that kind of thing only helps, like, pedants. Yeah. And even that, I feel like it doesn't really help them. So we're not going to worry too much about no. that anymore. I'm just going to assume that. It's hard. It's hard enough if we're talking about. If it. I'm scared of it, yeah, or not. But. Um, <laughs> no, I've I've been genuinely scared by every movie we've watched so far. Um, if it wasn't, I wouldn't allow you to post these episodes because I would be like, not hard. Wasn't scared. Yeah, you were actually sobbing at the end of um, House on Haunted Hill. I was <laughs> just terrified that a skeleton was going to lurch out of some out of the. I was like, every time like I would open a door, I was afraid this woman was going to slide out after me. Um, <laughs> then slide back. Yeah, uh, dodge that bullet. Yeah, so we're gonna do um, a stretch of foreign horror movies now that we've wrapped up Vincent Price. Which I feel like so there's the, there's a nice thing about foreign media is that it's kind of like foreign media is kind of like um. I would say older media and that it's given time to basically it separates the chaff the chaff out you know by the fact that foreign films reach the US it means that people you know weeded through a bunch of the crap yeah so they'll probably be on average probably better yeah like yeah I agree I think well the the foreign movies that horror movies that we have accessible that's right in this time period are not necessarily going to be the ones that made the most money as far as movies they're going to be like the ones that people have singled out as being notable, right? That's how. That's why people always like say, you know, older things are better because we've given it times to throw away all the garbage. No one remembers the trash. No one. No one worried about saving and remembering the, like the trash of the seventies. So, what's number one on the list? The first first one is going to be House. <sighs> I knew I've had. I thought that's what it was. I thought we had a nice a nice. Light at the end of this tunnel. Mm-hmm. House nineteen seventy seven. We're not going to talk any more about it because we're going to do a whole podcast on it at some point. So that's all there is to it. But go ahead and it's a, it's a magical piece of cinema. If you want to, if you want to, you have a month to watch it. If you want to follow along with us, start the next episode. Yeah, watch it one day every month, one day every week, one day every day of the month. But this is a uh, yeah. So that's that. Like I said, not not going to say anything more about House. So yeah, I guess that's the episode. Yeah. I'm going to read the outro stuff. Sounds a good idea. Thanks for listening.
to the episode 37 of the GoldenAgeHorror.com podcast. You can visit our website for more information, articles and show notes. My first ebook is out on Amazon. It's called All God This Here. It's 99 cents. If you liked our podcast, you can leave us a rating or review on iTunes. If you didn't like our podcast, why don't you write me an email instead and we can talk about it. And I'll just cover you in a wax figurine. Yeah. If you don't want to miss an episode, join our mailing list at our website. Or you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash allgodlessyear. You can follow me on Twitter at The Water Method or Andrew at Pizza Pranks. You can also find more stuff Andrew's done at pizzapranks.com. Our theme music is the Swan Lake dub by Dubology. Like I said, next month is 1977 Japanese horror film House. Thanks again for listening. That website, www.goldenagehorror.com. Dot pizza. <laughs>